in the morning he'd go for a walk along the bike track and down that area, and in the afternoon he'd go along the fence. Well, he got from his unit about halfway across to the fence, uh, and he had a heart attack, and he just lay down and just died out there in the, under the tree. The lead was around his arm, and the dog just sat down beside him. And I said to my grandson, I said, go and see whose dog that is. Looks like he's tied up there. And uh, as, you, as they were, we walked over, you could see there was a body laying there. That's where we used to sit outside. Get out here on the veranda. Have a beer. That's where you always used to sit inside here with the window open, with a, with a book. Khaki shorts and a navy blue singlet, that's it. And a pair of thongs, that's all he had on. And that's all he lived in. Have you ever heard the sound that a peacock makes? It's surprisingly abrasive, a hoot followed by a desultory cry. At the North Bank Caravan Park in Cossack in the town of Catherine, peacock calls seem to echo through the evening. This is To the Island, a new podcast featuring stories about everyday explorers, stories about encounters between people from here and over there, between the past and the present. I'm Rosa Allen, coming to you from Darwin in the top end of Australia. This story is about a man who died here at North Bank a couple of years ago. He lived in the caravan park with his dog, Racky. It's leafy and tropical and a tad overgrown, with the odd piece of rusted machinery lying around. There's probably as many long-term people here as visitors. They say the peacocks came after escaping from property down the road. They just floated in en masse and nested here. Much like old Nick Kulikovsky, who passed away underneath a tree while walking Racky at the age of 72. He just come here when the police brought him here, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but he was a cantankerous old bastard, but he was a... Peter Byers and his wife Elona own North Bank. Yeah, well, old Nick worked in Sydney in the water, water board uh, for many years. I don't remember how many he said worked there, but he retired and he bought himself a second-hand Winnebago. And his idea was to travel Australia and camp, camp out in the bush. He loved going for walks and had his dog and that was, that was it, so away he went. And he got as far as the Northern Territory and he camped out on the western side of the King River out in the bush. He got up in the morning and went for a walk and um, uh, they stole his Winnebago and drove it out through the bush and wrecked it. And the police eventually found it and brought it in and the only place they could store it was at our park. And old Nick moved in and they give him some tarps because it was coming on a wet season. But old Nick didn't feel like working, he lost heart. So he swapped the Winnebago for a car. And he rented a unit, a one-bedroom unit office. Nick stayed for more than seven years. He had one close friend at the park, Eddie Baker. Freedom and, and just being left alone. He was a loner, a bit like I am. We like solitude. Did he do any handy work or anything or around the place? Nick did nothing. No, no, he absolutely, that was, his, that was his whole day. Go for a walk in the morning, in the afternoon, and he read books. He read, oh, there's a pile of books here. Some of his books are now sitting on a shelf at Peter and Alona's house. The Icelandic sagas, the Iliad, 
as well as tomes of World War II history. Have you always liked solitude? Yeah. yeah. I like, like being on my own. I like being able to walk out at the door and come back when I like and don't have to answer to anybody. Yeah. I think he was a lot like that. Did you feel like you had things in common apart from that? We both liked to read. I liked to read. Like the beer. We both like the beer, but yeah. And and what do you like to read? History. He had good books to read. He gave me a good book on uh, the trials of um, Hercules. He seemed to like Greek um, mythology. Yeah, yeah. And I liked it too. I think that was the first book I, I picked up in the library when I was at school. When I was at intermediate, and I couldn't even pronounce the names in them, but. You know, I could get the gift as a story. I, I suppose it goes back to a lot of military things. Were you in the military? Yeah, yeah. Nick didn't tell his friend Eddie this, but it was the shadow of history, the well-known end of an imperial family and a revolution that swept through Russia that was cast over Nick's life. And it wasn't until he died that the past he'd managed to escape tried to bring him back into its fold. But really, it was too late. In the heat and tranquility of his outback town, Nick had left behind Russia's Romanov dynasty. But the dynasty wouldn't quite leave him. I was told he died from a heart attack. He had been sick for about two weeks with the flu, hadn't he? Yeah. He told him to see a doctor, but he wouldn't go. before the event that happened in Darwin, I was at the annual presentation of the Russian Goldsmiths and Jewellers Guild. It was a big ball and presentation night. Father Michael Protopopov, the mitred archpriest of the Russian Orthodox Church here in Australia, was visiting Moscow when he met a relative of Nick's. And at the next table was sitting Paul Kulikovsky and his good lady. He came over to me and asked me whether I'd help him look for his uncle with whom he'd lost contact many years earlier. When I got back to Australia, I asked my people in Sydney to go up and knock on the door of the house that was supposedly Leonidson. Of course, they, they told him that he hadn't been there for so many years. We couldn't find him. My name is Simon Andropov. I've been the unofficial Russian voice in Darwin for over 40 years. So the protocol office calls me when they need someone to turn around and translate. We've had the Bolshoi Ballet here, the Siberian Cossacks, just about every Russian tour group that went through Darwin here for a barbecue, including the Moscow Circus. It wasn't until a year or two later, in 2015, that Father Michael again heard about Leonid Kulikovsky, and when he did, he called on a childhood friend, Simon Andropov, with a special request. Michael was in Moscow for some sort of conference when he heard from the Kulikovsky family that one of theirs had died somewhere in Australia. He said, Simon, can you look into this for me? We believe it was somewhere in the Northern Territory. 
Michael turned around and told me who he was straight away. He said, he's the grandson of Alexander III. Leonid Gurevich Kulikovsky was the great-grandson of Alexander III, the second-last Tsar of Russia. Olga Alexandrovna, Leonid's grandmother, was his youngest child. When she was 12, the Tsar died and her older brother Nicholas II took the throne. The police rang me and said to me, you've been looking for a Kulikovsky, we've found one. So I raced off to the coroner's office and said, looking for a Leonid Kulikovsky, we believe he died somewhere. And they said to me, are you a kin or a relative? I said, no. I said, well, we can't give you any information, but ring this number. And that number happened to be the morgue. And the person there confirmed, yes, they have got a body, and it's been here for quite a while. Yes, I, I, I rang Paul in Moscow and told him, and he passed it on to the rest of the family in Denmark. He said, under no circumstances, I don't want him cremated, I don't want him to be buried without an orthodox funeral, could you arrange it? Well, first call was from Nadia Daly from, from the ABC, and then um, I forget who it was from, from NT News, and then uh, Channel 9, I in actual fact called Bruin after the ABC called, said, Andy, I've got something for you. He said, right. <laughs> the Daily Telegraph reported that it took two months before authorities could identify Leonid Kulikovsky or his royal heritage. The Daily Mail said he'd never pressed his claim to the throne. He died a pauper beneath a tree in the outback, reported the Times. And then um, Reuters got onto it, and then the Washington Post, and it just went like wildfire after that. Serbian Orthodox Church has um, a parish up in Darwin. The Serbian bishop, who's um, a monarchist and a member, uh, knows the Grand Duchess Maria very well. He uh, offered uh, us his church, and I flew up on behalf of the Russian Orthodox Church to do the funeral. He was to be buried out at some cemetery out in the sticks. Simon Andropov said that he thought it would be inappropriate to be buried right out there somewhere. Wanted him to be buried in a more prominent place in the city and you've got a big family there of Greeks who are in the pearl trade. The Paspales are one of Darwin's richest families. They emigrated from Greece after the First World War and built up a pearling empire. They offered a headstone for Leonid and a place in their personal family plot. The Sydney Morning Herald wrote that Leonid's great-grandmother, the brilliantly bejeweled Empress Marie, renowned for her endlessly long pearl necklaces, would have been gratified. The discovery of his royal heritage has caused waves in the territory, with Darwin's wealthiest family, the Paspales, offering to this have... This is something special for the Northern Territory, obviously, that they've got a, actually a direct line to that. When you were thinking about him being buried here, did you think, oh, this is something that people are going to be interested in? Was it even like a, a draw card for people? Well, I suggested to, to people in the powers that this would be a draw card. And it certainly will be a draw card later on. It mightn't be so right now. But um, we have a bit of tourism coming in through uh, Darwin from Russia and China as well. 
and people are interested in that sort of thing. It is actually said to me that he, he lived his last days all by himself. Normally the coffin would be open in church, but, in, um, but it was covered with the Russian flag. People came from all over the place, representatives from the parliament, and we did the normal funeral service, praying for the remission of sins and that God be merciful to his soul. Well, it's, it's a standard Orthodox funeral. Whether you're king or beggar, you get the same funeral in the Orthodox Church. There's no um, making up of a service, I understand. It's very modern in Western society to tailor your funeral to suit your own needs. But in the Orthodox Church, there is a standard funeral for, for everyone. It'll be the same funeral for, for the emperor as it is for Kulikovsky. Well, what do I think of old Nick? What he would have done, he would have jumped out of the box and ran away. <laughs> He was Nick. You know, he hadn't, lived, he hadn't lived in Russia. He didn't own anything in Russia. He wasn't born there. And as far as Nick was concerned, he was a bloody bushy Australian. Huh? Yeah, I know this guy. Russian. I thought, no, it must, must have been a mistake or something. You wouldn't think he was Russian. And did you go to his funeral in Darwin? No. No. I didn't even know about it. Do you think he was on the run from anything? Could have been yeah, hard to say. On the next episode of To the Island, I meet someone who met Leonid in the 1970s. Quite a well-spoken woman's voice asked if this was the newsroom and would we be interested in paying for an amazing story? She said, well, there was living in Sydney a direct descendant, indeed the, the great-grandson of Tsar Alexander III of Russia. Not, not bad, I thought. But, but if he was so grand, why was the intermediary touting his story to the tabloid media? This story was produced by myself, Rosa Allen, with theme music by Nick Huggins from Little Lake Records. Their details can be found on our website, totheisland.com.au. Thanks also to Zulia Kamalova for her lovely music. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, just search for To The Island, and tune in for the second part of Old Nick's story in about two weeks' time. 